Today on CityCast Pittsburgh. Back in December, a group of people went to hang out at a family camp in Venango County. Among them was Peter Spencer, a 29-year-old black man. Everyone else was white. By two in the morning, Spencer was dead. Now, it's always been a complicated case with a fair amount of rumors flying, but investigators just dropped a lot of new information yesterday. CityCast producers Matt Stroud and Megan Harris are back with Post-Gazette columnist Tony Norman to talk about what we've learned. It's Wednesday, March 16th. I'm Morgan Moody, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. Tony, first, we wanted to get some setup out of the way. Um, So by the time this shooting happens, there are five people at this family camp. There's Peter Spencer, the victim, and then this 25-year-old friend of his from Mercer County. Investigators refer to him throughout this press conference that happened yesterday as, quote, the suspect. And then three other people that they call the witnesses. One witness was from Ohio, a guy. And then the two other, a man and a woman, are a couple. They're both from Newcastle. That's all important for later. But the big news first is that in this case, there are no homicide charges. Investigators have said that the death is a justifiable act of self-defense. Tony, you've been covering this for a while. What are your initial impressions about that? My initial impressions are not printable, as you can imagine. Uh, I was I, I actually was quite surprised given um all of the uh, attention this shooting has generated and almost the the shadiness, um, how things were kept so quiet by authorities, how even the names of the witnesses and the shooter uh, have been kept from the public. I, I really did not expect that we would arrive at a day where they would not only say, the shooting was justified, but we're still not going to share the names of any of the people involved as if it didn't happen. Um, so my initial impressions are uh, I've never, ever seen anything like this ever. Uh, let's talk about the shooting and how it actually went down, according to the district attorney. Megan, investigators shared a ton of detail. What do we know about the timing? Yeah, Peter Spencer was dropped off. Meeting a friend, of course, at this family camp in Venango County in the early evening hours uh, in in early December. The initial going, he tells his fiance, you know, I'm just going to be there for a few hours then text her, you know, what, actually maybe pick me up in the morning if that's okay. She says that she tries to text several times throughout the night. It doesn't get a response. Police now say that there's not great service up there. And maybe that's why. But by 2 a.m., somewhere between 1.30 and 2 o'clock in the morning, Spencer's dead with nine shots in his body in the front and in the back. And all of the suspects, well, a suspect who admitted to all nine of those casings was in custody, as well as three additional witnesses who were on site at the time. Right. And the suspect is the gentleman who invited um, Peter Spencer to the cabin. He is uh, a former work buddy. And apparently, or according to these witnesses, um, they did not know Peter Spencer. They had this uh, work buddy in common. So you basically had these five people who only had one person in common. 
um, between them. So Peter Spencer was the only black person in this group too. On the surface, that looks significant. We don't know what the attitude of the other people is towards Helm. We can only go by their testimony after the fact. Uh, Let's talk about what the district attorney said the investigators had determined. Megan, again, you listened to the press conference pretty closely. What did he say happened that night? Yeah, so it sounds like it started with them having a great time. There was some video taken. There were some texts sent. They'd been hanging out, you know, having a good time. Later in the evening, it sounds like they might have pulled out some weed. They might have pulled out some mushrooms. It's not totally clear who might have taken what at what time. Investigators repeatedly said, um, you know, we weren't there. We're we're going off toxicology reports and what we've heard from others. At some point, they say, according to witnesses, Spencer took some shrooms, in some way was having a bad trip, kept insisting on the fire that they had out there. They wanted to get it bigger and he wanted to get it bigger. And he starts waving around some weapons that they allege he brought. Right. An AK-47 allegedly. Yeah, 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 a couple of weapons. Um, one with a serial number shaved off and another with another that they could more easily trace. Now, his fiance says that she didn't see him grab any weapons when she dropped him off. But investigators say that they were able to trace them both back to Spencer, one through the original purchaser and the other his fiance had actually purchased and that he had a permit to carry. And these are serious weapons too. You've got an AK-47 and an AR-15. Yeah, both assault rifles for sure. Mm -hmm. So they say that he's waving them around and becoming erratic. There was a phrase in particular that they use that they said that he called himself a god. He said that he is a god. Yeah, god creator and master manipulator of his own reality. Yeah, which I mean, to be fair, does sound like the kind of trippy thing you might say on a bad experience with shrooms. Hmm. But they allege that it took a much darker turn shortly thereafter. Yeah, they allege he was firing his AK-47 in the air. At some point, neighbors reported hearing it as well. Um, And then he allegedly pointed the AK at one of the witnesses. A couple of times. Yeah, they say that one had, uh, you know, gone towards his vehicle and was, you know, considering leaving and that Spencer pointed the weapon and said, no, give me your keys, give me your phone, you're not going anywhere. They say he complied. Um, Another one, they had a bus on site of some kind. Um, Now, the girlfriend of the couple had already gone to the bus to go to bed, but her partner had come onto the bus and just said, something's going down, you need to hide, get under the bed. She allegedly did that. And then Spencer enters the bus and kind of gives the same speech. You know, you're not going anywhere. Give me your keys. Give me your phone. And that's when the quote unquote suspect, the fellow from Mercer County, allegedly got involved. He had a nine millimeter pistol on him at the time. And then he unloads on him. Yeah, actually, let's just have uh, the district attorney, Sean White, explain that part. And, and a word to listeners, too. This is a little graphic because he's describing something that's been at odds here, exactly how it's possible for Spencer to have had wounds in his front and his back. So maybe skip ahead a couple minutes if you might be sensitive to that kind of content. Eleven bullets in that gun under a fight or flight type of emotion would have been taken about two to two and a half seconds to be emptied from that firearm. This is not a lengthy amount of time. Two to two and a half seconds. You are not seeing the victim running away. And I want to tell you, based upon the autopsy, nine wounds to the back and the neck. Seven of them were exit wounds. I'm going to try to point them out to you now as best as I can. 
wound to the front lip that went through the side of the neck, exit wound. I've seen comments on social media, take a look at the victim's back. This wound in the neck is an exit wound. There was a shot to the right chest and to the left chest that went straight through the victim. Exit wounds to the back. He was found lying face down. The suspect in this case indicated they were face to face when the shooting began. We believe that's accurate based upon finding the body. Human behavior with the Pennsylvania State Police then indicates that what you see from that point on is the twisting and the turning of the victim. Two shots were located here, almost directly under the armpit. Those are entry wounds. They exited also through the back. As the victim is now crumpling and falling forward, his back is almost even with the firing arm. In that case, both shots grazed and barely got underneath the skin of the victim in this case. One was actually parallel with the spine. The last two were in the buttocks. The trajectory of those went into the abdomen, not straight through him. The victim at that point is falling down in those two to two and a half seconds that it took to discharge all these cartridges from this firearm. And so now we hear a theory as to what happened. And it may or may not be the truth. The problem is that enough skepticism permeates this case that even what the authorities might think is a reasonable explanation is now spoiled because of the the time difference between the shooting on December 12th and the explanation on um, March 15th. When you have a quarter of a year passing for what should be a simple case of self-defense, you really do have to excuse the skepticism of the family and the public, ordinary people, because we've seen this movie before. We have seen miscarriages of justice before. And this is what this superficially smells like. Yeah, the district attorney said that an investigation had been ongoing by the Pennsylvania State Attorney General into Peter Spencer. He wouldn't go into specifics about it, but he implied that it was because of the guns that were on scene, because of the AK-47 and the AR-15, and the implication being that these were ghost guns and Peter Spencer was involved in a distribution scheme. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, that would certainly be a serious charge. Uh, if if only we weren't in Pennsylvania, which is like flooded with guns, <laughs> You know, if only we weren't in a state that has a, you know, uh, a, a castle doctrine, if only we weren't in a state where um, all sorts of shady things like this happen, I would be inclined to to give the police, the investigators, uh, the benefit of the doubt. But yeah, Tony, you mentioned the castle doctrine, and I'm actually curious about your perspective on that, especially because investigators say this was a justifiable act of self-defense, right? But they're citing what most of us know as stand your ground law. Um, And most of us also relate that to Trayvon Martin in Florida from several years ago. Right. How do you think that relationship is going to affect how people take in what investigators are calling the facts of this case? Oh, I, I think that just mentioning the Castle Doctrine will will get a lot of rural Pennsylvanians and folks automatically 
saying, well, there you go. It doesn't matter what color he is. He was threatening someone on their property. And uh, if he were threatening me, I would shoot him too. I mean, there, it is just sort of a visceral reaction. You have the right to kill somebody if you feel threatened and you're on your property. You do not have a duty to retreat. And that's going to make a lot of sense. And there's there's one protection for people who are not in their own home. There's a, a stipulation in the law that says that you are also able to stand your ground if there is a reasonable expectation of immediate danger. And that means that a deadly weapon like a gun or a knife must be visible and immediately accessible. Right. But communities of color really take a totally different emotional tack oh. to, to mentions of stand your ground, as they should. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because we're disproportionately the victims of it. And, you know, you could you could be trick or treating and someone and, you know, you knocked on the door too hard and some older gentleman, you know, opens the door and blows you away because he felt threatened. Yeah. Sometimes I'll go out to a party out in the, you know, the far suburbs or the exurbs, and I'm not sure about the the house that I'm going to, and I hope that it's the right address. And I will sit in my car until someone answers the phone because I will not go and knock on a strange door out in the sticks. I It's impossible because I could easily die. Tony, have you heard anything from uh, community members, family members about the decision yet? No, not yet. This is still, I mean, this just broke. So um, I'm sure that when I go online and look at my uh, mail from work, uh, my email, I'll see all sorts of stuff. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So what do you want to hear or see next, you know, from investigators at least? I want to see, you know, an investigation beyond what they've done. I don't believe them. How would you like to do that investigation? At this point, I think the Justice Department might be the way to go, you know, I am not a conspiracy theorist. And usually when people say that, they reveal that they're a conspiracy theorist. I, I swear to God, I am not. <laughs> but man, I, I don't believe anything and I won't believe anything until I see an independent investigation by people who actually know what they're doing and who will hold folks responsible. And I assume we will hear more in the coming days. Um, the family will likely speak out. Cyril Wecht, who has had a, you know copies of these reports for a couple of weeks now, will likely speak out. Um, Lots more to learn. Yeah. We'll be covering that. Tony, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thank you guys for being on top of this, too. And um, I, we have not heard the last of this, obviously. No, we'll link to your uh, the Post Gazette's great reporting in our show notes as well. Thanks. A little more news before you go. The Three Rivers Arts Festival is moving out. Well, just out of Point State Park and over to the Cultural District, so not too far. The state has some new usage rules and regulations, so the site is unavailable for the 10-day event. The festival kicks off this year, June 3rd, and will be centered around a pop-up park and stage at 8th Street and Penn Avenue. And it's probably still going to rain all of those days, except for the last one. And doors are back open for the Bloomfield staple Brillo Box after they closed in 2020. That's amazing. The bar slash restaurant slash performance space slash yoga studio struggled to make enough money to survive during the takeout era of the pandemic. The closure was expected to be permanent. The owner even tried getting into a few different occupations, but felt Brillo Box was his true calling. Aww. After receiving a small business grant, the space has reopened and will feature a comedy show and a band performance later this month. Welcome back, Brillo Box. 
That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend? Rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you then. That's not bad. I think you. I, I felt the same way. I'm like, you could be a little bit more natural.